uh, going oh, on to the NFC Championship game. Oh, I love game. it. Oh, David Johnson just and, running uh, over people to get there. Yeah, oh, they had I love to, every uh, part of it. All right, welcome in, everybody, to the Important Nonsense Podcast. I am your host, Steve Bonham. You can find me on Twitter at Nonsense underscore Steve. You can also find my co-host here, Mr. Neil Smith, at Nonsense underscore Neil. And both of us uh, are Important Nonsense on the Fantasy Life app or, of course, obviously, our website, ImportantNonsense.com. Welcome in, Neil. Now, Neil, how you doing tonight? Ahoy, ahoy. I'm good. Feeling good. Just uh, prepping for the show, laughing at Dean Spanos. Yeah. Having a good yeah. chuckle at Dean Spanos. This isn't fantasy-related, but just very quickly. I don't know that I've ever seen anybody play themselves quite as hard as Dean Spanos has done with this whole, I'm going to abandon the city of San Diego. Yeah, Dean Spanos, owner of the Chargers, yeah. Yeah, for the record, those who are un- who are unaware of that, Dean Spanos owns the uh, – Owns the Chargers. He's basically done nothing in his professional career since 1984, <laughs> actually, except work for the Chargers. So my first argument would be, well, look at his record. <laughs> anyway, once you're done laughing at that, uh, you realize that he's basically been fleecing the entire municipality of San Diego and then tried to shake them down for more money. He didn't get it. <clears throat> and then he's like, I'm going to take my team to L.A., got pitted in the offseason a year ago, against Stan Kroenke, who's an actual businessman, hired a guy from Disney to come do a pitch to the NFL owners with all of them in the same room, got heckled out of the room by Jerry Jones, who, again, is an actual businessman, as crazy as he is. Again, he's an actual businessman. He does know what will make money. I mean, it's a, the craziest side. And now the Chargers are, are – he has to play second fiddle in the building that he wanted to build that now Stan Kroenke gets to build – he gets to be a tenant in that building when it's done. And until then, he gets to play in L.A. where the L.A. Galaxy struggles to sell soccer tickets. And so the big story going into this evening is Chargers in full-on panic mode about lack of ticket sales and all these other things. And this is the same team that a month ago was offering free tattoos off a pre-prescribed list done by vendors in L.A. to people that would come get a San Diego... Chargers, an L.A. Chargers tattoo. LA, fine, yes, thank you. An L.A. Chargers... That, that is the saddest, most depressing... Uh, never have I seen somebody who's supposed to be a professional, like Dean Spanos was, quote-unquote, supposed to be, play themselves at such a high level to where now he might lose his job and his team, or he might get relegated to OKC, Steve. Have you thought about that? The idea that if this fails... The NFL might decide, well, you know what? There's no market here. So now maybe we're going to get involved in trying to decide what's going to happen next. And maybe you're going to London. Maybe you're going to Mexico. They'd love to have one of those international teams actually yeah. take hold. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're going to OKC because they've been thinking they about that for a long time. They'd love to have a Mexico time. City team. I think oh, they'd that's love their it. goal. Mm-hmm. Stadio Azteca. And they got such a huge sellout from when the Raiders went down there. So, yeah, why not move the Chargers down there? Sure. I could see it. Learn Spanish, Dean, is what I'm saying. Learn, learn Spanish. Good news, everyone. Fantasy news from the NFL. The fantasy football news and information you need. The biggest fantasy news of the week. All right, so the biggest fantasy news of the week uh, came with Odell Beckham suffering an injury on Monday Night Football. That is macabre. That is not good news for many people. <laughs> he, uh, 
for those of you that drafted early, this is why you don't draft early. But for those of you that are still drafting in uh, the next couple weeks here, then uh, Odell Beckham's injury kind of drops him on my personal list uh, a couple of places. Uh, ESPN's Jordan Ronan and Dan Graziano are both reporting on uh, from Tuesday that he had a swollen ankle and uh, missed practice time. We knew he was going to miss the preseason, and uh, he could miss the first game or two of the regular season. Uh-oh, I don't like the sound of that. And he has not missed time since his first four games of his rookie year when he had that hamstring injury. Uh, he's been a beast basically ever since, but... Uh, yeah, it's just I, I'm proceeding with caution with Odell. It's kind of the same argument with you know uh, Le'Veon missing games at the start of last season and now Zeke with the suspension. Obviously, you know something to keep uh, on the radar here. But down the line, he's still going to be a stud for your team. It just depends on the rest of your roster construction and where you actually are in the draft. If he slides to you at the back end of the first round, I'm all over it. But if you're in the top couple of picks, I think it kind of drops him down in the overall rankings. I do too. I think he falls down behind. Like I, I've been kind of talking to, to it in terms of there's like a big six at wide receiver. There's six guys you'd really want, and he was. I mean, you could. He wasn't one because Antonio Brown, but he was pretty much between two and three, depending on what you want. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. between him and Julio, roughly those two guys, kind of back and forth, because neither one is necessarily the picture of health. You know, Julio with his injuries and his right. ankles. But coming off foot surgery. Himself. So, yeah, if he falls down a little bit, cause, you know, that's great. Grab him. So the question I have for you is, does this move Sterling Shepard up slightly? Because in theory, would two games of Sterling Shepard, let's call it, plus the rest of the season of Odell be about the same for you? No, because, uh, you know, Shepard is a slot guy. He is their slot guy. So. Maybe he sees more targets, I guess, is your point, but he hasn't really been healthy himself. It's, and he I, hasn't produced the way they, they also want him might to, put so. him on the outside at, as the. Uh, they might move Brandon Marshall for one to two games and have him take over the Odell Beckham side. I just don't know who their other receiver would be that's going to theoretically. Uh, so the guy that would fill in that outside receiver slot is Roger Lewis Jr. And he oh, had okay. a couple of games last year where he flashed and had a couple touchdowns. Yes. He's the guy that would fill in that Odell role on the outside with Shepard still inside and Marshall on the other side. So, so does that do anything from you from a waiver's perspective then? No. In my mind, if I've got Odell Beckham out of the first round, I'm just looking for depth on my roster further down. Maybe I take, maybe when you're in like the seventh, eighth round, when you're looking at bench spots, instead of taking that backup running back, like your third running back, maybe you take another wide receiver instead. You, you stack up at that position just because you know for sure the first two weeks you have to fill in for Odell. Uh, but otherwise, you know, I'm not interested in any Giants other than the uh, the ones we already were interested in. It's completely fair because I'm not really interested either. I just figured I would float that out. It's 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 always an interesting conversation of whether or not there's actually a handcuff to any of these receivers because it's not necessarily the most handcuffable position. Meanwhile, Jay Cutler made his debut for the Dolphins and for the Finns he uh, he looked all right. He looked Jay Cutler esque. But the uh, the big news coming out of that was uh, after the game he was interviewed by the Miami Herald's Adam Beasley and other reporters obviously. And was quoted as saying, Devontae Parker is, quote, a faster Alshon, referring to his time playing with Alshon Jeffrey, which got everybody buzzing. As a result, Parker has leaped up 
overall 20 spots from 119 to 99 in ADP. He's moved up six spots from wide receiver 45 to 39. Uh, Jarvis Landry stayed about the same. He's only dropped two spots, uh, 45 to 47 overall, and wide receiver 20 to 21. My take on it is I still want Jarvis Landry. He's still the more reliable guy. He he has a carved out role on that team where Parker just can't stay on the field. Like Jay Cutler can love you all he wants. We were talking about this <laughs> earlier. Jay Cutler loved, 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 loved Marquise Wilson. It was one of his favorite targets, and Marquise Wilson barely saw the field for the Bears and now was so terrible he just got cut by the Jets. Well, terrible is a hip injury. To be fair to him, he does have a hip injury, but that's the whole problem is he's always hurt. Yeah, constantly hurt. Does that sound familiar, Devontae Parker? So you can keep your Devontae Parker, especially at wide receiver 39. I'm good on that. It's funny because when this this first came out, I, I saw that. And I was thinking, oh my God, there goes Devontae Parker way up, way up the board. Mm-hmm. Whereas, if this didn't happen back in the days before the 24-hour news cycle and the information age, <laughs> Devontae yeah. Parker might have been a nice little sleeper for people. But right. uh, that's probably not the case anymore because you're going to have to pay retail for Devontae Parker, and retail for Devontae Parker is not something I'm interested in. I'd be much more interested in Jarvis Landry falling down the draft board a little bit, and I'm much more comfortable with with him. Like, I was actually hoping at this point that Jarvis Landry falls to, like, wide receiver 25. Because at that point, somebody's going to get a nice little bargain, is my theory. A nice little bargain for you in the flex spot, basically. Sure. You can consider him every week as a flex. And right, yeah. To your point, you like you're saying, worse. if Devontae Parker, right, if you knew this information and Parker stayed where he was at 119 in the 10th Would've round, Would've been all then, on it. sure, why not? take a, I mean, at that point, he's probably Huge my flyer. fifth I'll... or sixth wide receiver. Sure. yeah. Big upside, good player. In the eighth round, I'm not interested. Yeah, that's what I'm still trying to cement the back half of my roster. I'm not really looking at him at that price because you're going to need him to play at some point, to our point. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing is your greatest availability. Your greatest ability is your availability. You like to mix that up all the time. I, You know, it's my selective dyslexia. (laughs) Meanwhile... The big question in Buffalo is, are the Bills even trying? Do you even care? Is this, I mean... No, we're going to get to the later you... part in this with the predictions, and I, I don't think they care at all. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's not great news. It's the LaShawn McCoy show! But they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook! We're not letting them off the hook. So the Bills, various reports last week, right after the podcast came out, so... I mean, we tw- this is why you got to follow us on Twitter, people, because yeah. I tweet this immediately, and if you you could get this information a week earlier. But various reports saying they wanted to move Tyrod Taylor and perhaps LaShawn McCoy. Since then, uh, sources with the team have denied there's any trade talks going on around anybody there, but especially McCoy, and they're certainly not interested in moving him. With that being said, and the whole cloudy 2017 Anquan Bolden, who was a big part of their preseason game last weekend, out of nowhere on Sunday decided not to show up to the uh, the team practice and said, yep. "Yeah, I'm out. I retire." I told so, him it means peace among peace, Morty. I told him it means peace among worlds. Yeah, that's what he. That's much, what he did to the Bills. That's yeah, what he did nice to the Bills. Rick and Morty reference for you, everybody. So, yes, mm-hmm. Anquan Bolden uh, gets out of there. You can't blame the guy. We talked about it when it happened. No. Absolutely Anquan not. basically went to every team and said, please sign me. 
and the only ones interested were the Bills. And then after he gets there, they trade Sammy Watkins and basically publicly say they're not interested in winning in 2017. So if you're Anquan Bolden and this is basically your last ride, why do you want to play that out? You don't. Oh, this is where I wish we had the drop from Lethal Weapon, where he's getting too old for this. Because that's, that's the Anquan Bolden response is, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and retire because I'm not going to just get a concussion and get all beat up so you guys can win three games. Like it, exactly. And try and get a quarterback for the future. And I would like to personally welcome Tyrod Taylor to Denver one year early to try and win a Super Bowl. Please help. Meanwhile, speaking of QB battles in Denver, uh, we're going to kick the QB battles off with the Browns. I ranked these based on least amount of fantasy impact to most amount of fantasy impact, and that would be the Browns today announcing that they've given the reins to rookie Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, as I noted on here, it's such a Cleveland move. To, uh, oh, it so is. And, uh, you know, my favorite game of course, you would remember from the computer of the 90s would be where in the world is Cody Kessler because yes. nobody knows where Cody Kessler nope. is. And we were reading reports yesterday. Or even who he is, apparently, because yeah. yeah. they can't about even get him, his name right. Yeah. About him going out there and looking bad in practice and training camp, and because of that he got demoted to third team. Like, what, Which I don't understand. It doesn't even make sense. Last You're putting season. him out there in a situation where – he is going up against a defense that literally has your playbook in their back pocket. They literally know exactly what you're trying to do when you're trying to do it and have seen you do it every single day, and you're saying that, oh, the defense was too prepared for him in practice? What are you talking about? Put him on the field and, and see what you can get out of him. I, I just also, who's don't defense? understand. Your defense? Your Cleveland yeah. Browns defense? The yeah. flame and dumpster fire that that's going to turn into by week five? Oh, boy. Okay. I have so many problems with this. how all of this went down. It, no, the part that makes the least amount of sense to me out of all of it is that seven days before the preseason starts, they move Osweiler up to their number one QB and demote Kessler, which makes no sense. They give Osweiler a shot at the starting job, a quote-unquote shot, because it was never going to be his shot. It was never going to be his job on his team. They always had him on the trading block and wanted to move him, and they were trying to increase his value the whole time. So instead, you gave the first team reps to a a veteran QB that you knew you weren't going to keep, that you knew was never going to be on your team, and you had Kaiser go in there on second team and Kessler go in there for, what, like five plays the first two games? And now you're going to throw them all out there in game three and game plan with those guys. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's like I told you earlier today, they put Osweiler out there, they bought low on Osweiler from the Texans, put him in a bad situation in preseason, lowered his value, and now they're oh, trying yeah. to sell him for even lower than they bought him for. Yeah, it's a classic Cleveland Browns move, and it's ridiculous. No, it's a Cleveland special, because let me read you, let me read you something. We were talking about this yesterday, uh, going through this. Cody Kessler from last season, by the way. 66% completion percentage, 1,380 yards, six touchdowns, two interceptions, a rating of 92.3. They were saying that guy looked worse than the guy who's 12 for 24 and a pick in the preseason. <laughs> in the preseason. I mean, and I have eyeballs. aren't even game-planning for you. They're literally and, just throwing out generic defenses at you in the preseason. And, and he couldn't even still do the couldn't stuff. even do anything. No, he looks like a giraffe out there at this point. It's it's terrible. Like he 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 can't even set his feet anymore. He's completely done. He's got to go. I hope he enjoys his time in Saskatchewan. It, 
it's yeah, it's, it's like I was somebody earlier, to take over Vince Young since he got hurt. They've got him on the quote unquote on the block, which who's gonna want that? No, but just the whole question is what happened to Cody Kessler? Why do they hate him? Yeah. So because you've got you're, Kaiser you're now is the starter. Kaiser, Kessler and Hogan are gonna split the second half. Kaiser hasn't then, looked good anyway. I'd like to just point that out. He looks okay, but he's overthrowing people and he looks like he's running around like crazy out there. I would say he's looked better at times than Deshaun Watson though. And I can give you that. I'll give you that. The been, raw tools I mean, are there, but I would much be much happier to watch him stand there with a clipboard for a couple games mm-hmm. and figure out what he what's going on and let Cody Kessler get killed if you don't like him anyway. Because yeah. it just it, I don't get the whole suddenly we're gonna throw our rookie in there and what that screams to me is by the way somebody who's to live in the Cleveland market is Jimmy professional truck stop pirate Haslam getting involved and saying. I drafted him, and I want him to play football. And Jimmy Haslam, as anyone who's ever followed the Browns, or his business flying J knows, is a crook and a moron. And I would defend that in court. So that's why I said it that way. So bring it. Because uh, I got the legal precedents to back up the one part, at least. <laughs> like the, uh, the crook part, by the way. So he... I don't get this. Like uh, Suddenly, it's like he's got to go in. And this is why we were talking about that meeting Hugh Jackson had to have the other day with certain people. Because i got to tell you, I don't think Hugh Jackson ever necessarily wanted to have Brock Osweiler in there either. But it was the right move to try and see if he looked good that you could trade him and just eat the salary and try and get another draft pick back, right? Simple uh-huh. kind of deal like that, NBA style. Fine. Do that. It failed. Okay, fine. Move on. But then now, why is, why is Kaiser going to just go die? Like he, we've seen what happens when these guys get these rookie QB, these rookie Browns QBs get in there. Have we not learned anything from cumulative history? Like maybe there should be a guy that goes in there like a Cody Kessler, tries to win us some games, and then Kaiser takes over in like week six or seven or next year when he's actually learned how to be an NFL player. He's very raw right now. I can see where they're going, but he's so raw. Yeah. As for fantasy impact, like I said, I was never high on any of the Browns to begin with. If you were one of those that was believing in Kenny Britt, though, taking over the role that Terrell Pryor left behind, I would be downplaying that much yeah, more. Yeah, Kenny Britt. Kenny Britt's gonna have to come down draft boards, unfortunately. Nice little sleeper that I don't, I don't feel as confident about anymore. I was no. all that was based on Cody Kessler having this job, which is why I think it's, it's very strange what's going on. But it's not atypical of the Browns. So there you go. The uh, Broncos on Monday made the announcement that we all knew was coming. Trevor Simeon has quote-unquote won the job. Uh, I don't know how he won, but, I mean, he was just there, and then Paxton Lynch was just much, much worse. So Trevor Simeon remains the starter. Yeah, the the story is Paxton Lynch. Uh, Credit to Field Yates with the tweet earlier in the week. There have been 29 quarterbacks drafted in the first round since 2006. Of them... The only ones to not take over the full-time starting job by the start of their second year are now Paxton Lynch, Johnny Manziel, Tim Tebow, and Brady Quinn. So that should tell you everything you need to know about the the legacy of Paxton Lynch's NFL prospect. I like how the Browns make the list twice. And so do the Broncos. Do you like that? Yep. There you go. There you go. So two teams apparently historically that swing and miss on first round quarterbacks. And again, but, uh, I would like to really welcome Tyrod Taylor to Denver to <laughs> come on down because this is my market. I get all of it. Trevor Simeon looks like QB twenty five. He looks like mm-hmm. Brian Hoyer, basically. Like that's my that's my cop for Trevor Simeon. If he was Brian Hoyer, it's probably his ceiling. 
to be honest. I saw him at Northwestern too. It's not, it's not super impressive, but yeah. he will manage the game. And with that defense, it should be, I hope, okay. You never know. But Paxton Lynch looks like he hasn't learned anything from last year. I've watched him all through the preseason. I saw some of the tape coming out of camp. He's, from what I can tell and from what a lot of people are asserting, he's kind of a head case. He gets, yeah. he gets, if, if he makes a negative play, he can't just let it go and move on. He gets, he gets way like down on himself and everything like that. So I think this is the right call, but the Broncos QB situation is far from solved. For fantasy impact, I've marked minimal, but really it's zero because this was always Trevor Simeon's job. We were always projecting him to take the job and it was his uh, quarterback that play that, uh, that was affecting the receivers, running backs, all that stuff. So they, yep. they really don't change at all. They stay exactly where they were. The only other QB competition we're monitoring is the Jags have named Chad Henney the preseason week three starter. And, uh, according to, uh, Chris Mortensen, on ESPN from Monday, it's basically his job to lose. So they brought in Bortles to replace Chad Henney, and now Henney's going to end up replacing Blake Bortles because Blake Bortles is Blake Bortles. So he Are you sure Bortled... Jake Locker's not available so he could like walk on for this team? Yeah. Like get yeah. Jake Locker off his couch maybe? He's still around? No? He okay. is, uh, he's Bortled his way out of this job, if you will. Uh, so bl- exactly. So in just in the preseason, and again... Like with Osweiler, this is teams that are just throwing out generic defenses at you. They're not game planning for you because you can't because you don't know who's going to play when. So it's just generic defenses you're looking at. And this preseason so far, he has uh, 11 completions on 18 attempts for 81 yards. No touchdowns, no picks. 61% completion percentage. In comparison, Chad Henney is 11 for 16 so two less throws, but the same amount of completions for 183 yards and a touchdown. So it's just, it's been far and away Henny that has outperformed him. And the uh, wide receivers and veterans on the team have very loudly said they prefer Chad Henny because he can actually get them the ball. Yep. We've, we've all seen Chad Henny play football at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you watch football long enough, you saw him play with the Dolphins, you've seen him play with the Jags. I know what I'm getting. With Chad Henney. And that actually gives me a certain amount of security, fantasy impact wise, as I'm sure we'll kind of delve into uh, there. I actually prefer it to Bortles. What was Allen Robinson's quote from the other day? Throw it blank inbounds to Blake Bortles, (laughs) I believe. Throw it in bounds, bro. Yeah. Uh Other uh, other thing about Blake Bortles, I don't know if anybody else knows this, but you know Blake Bortles is left handed. Like, naturally, he's a lefty. Mm -hmm. He golfs lefty. He, uh, he does everything left-handed, he writes lefty, but he plays football right-handed because the left-handed quarterback is dead in the NFL. There's only one yeah. left, and it's Kellen Clemens, and he's terrible. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, Blake Bortles has spent his entire life trying to learn how to throw a football right-handed. And so I'm suddenly understanding now why there are so many mechanical <laughs> issues with Blake Bortles. Yeah. It suddenly exactly. all makes so much sense. Because, mm-hmm. by the way, I'm not in any way suggesting that I'm a right-handed person. I throw a football right-handed. I am not suggesting that I could throw a football left-handed anywhere close to as good as how Blake Bortles. He's borderline, but he's not even borderline. He's successfully made a career for the last couple of years out of doing something that shouldn't even be, like, possible. <laughs> he's completely retrained his body. So from that perspective, I give him a huge amount of credit because the, the hill, 
that you had to climb to get to where you are is so steep. You're fighting every single tendency you know. And then uh, Brandon Allen, who's the second-year player they drafted last season, is the quarterback that everyone's kind of talking about. He's granted going in against the second- and third-team defenses, but in his preseason so far, he's 15 for 22 with 229 yards, two touchdowns, and no picks. He's outperformed both of them at this point, and it's really a possibility that he is the backup to Henny and Bortles doesn't even make this team. I think it's entirely possible. I also think it's entirely possible that because we've seen Chet Henny play football, that Brandon Allen's going to be running the team by the end of the point, year. Yeah. By the end of the uh, year, especially if, you, if things don't go their way, you mm-hmm. might as well see what you have in the kid because Chet Henney's not getting any younger, and you're already going to have to go back in the draft to find somebody else anyway because Bortles is not. Yeah, and like I said, this was the biggest fantasy impact. Uh, I wrote on our sheet, everyone on the offense, and then crossed out offense and put team is better with, and then in parentheses, insert anyone not Blake Bortles here. Just anyone that's not Blake Bortles makes that whole team better. The defense doesn't have to deal with short yardage situations because of interceptions. The offense runs more effectively because you're actually throwing the ball to your own team. Everybody on that roster moves up if Blake Bortles is announced as not the starter. Yeah, like I've been seeing Allen Robinson falling in a lot of drafts, and I think that had to, in part, I mean, he's got a lot of drops, as we could go into Mm -hmm. on his personal stat line, but uh, Blake Bortles not being able to throw the ball in bounds is another huge component of it, whereas Chad Henney will put it, more or less where you tell him to, it's just not going to mm-hmm. be moving all that fast when it gets there. Is the That's usually the issue. All right, so we're going to move on now. As promised last week, we have uh, mine and Neil's NFL predictions for the season. Uh, Neil, you said this is your first time actually going through game by game and doing all the uh, projections for the NFL? Yeah, I've never done it. Uh, I mean, you do it anecdotally when you play pigskin pick them, right? Because yeah. you do it week by week. So I've done that. But I've never done it in the preseason. I've never sat down and actually tried to map out game by game every single team. It's just not part of my metrics and how I do the data. I focus more on trends and things like that because my whole thing is always the NFL schedule is a hard thing to pin down. Mm -hmm. Because as we're going to get into here, you won't even know necessarily who the good defenses are in a lot of ways until like week four. Right. That's that's part of it. There's always going to be these defenses that happens every single season that people are saying, oh, this defense is just going to be elite. They're going to be untouchable. And then that defense comes out and falls flat on their face. And then also, too, as we all know in this game that we play, injuries are everywhere. And so it's already hard enough to predict the injuries just on offense for fantasy football purposes. But then you factor in defense as well. And it's like, okay, well, if half your corners get hurt week four, it might, you know, it might change my outlook on that game in week eight. But, but I went through and we have done it. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting experiment, uh, experiment though. Yeah. Speaking of uh, that professional segue you were able to do there, Neil. Pigskin Pick'em is back this year. Picking against me and Neil. I have already set up the group. There is a link at the top of importantnonsense.com. It's right on the main page. It's actually in the side widget, so it's on every single page. So if you just go to uh, your favorite link from importantnonsense.com. Uh, in the upper right corner, it'll say play uh, Pigskin Pick'em with the guys this season, and it'll take you directly to our ESPN Pigskin Pick'em group. You can join us and play against us on a weekly basis. So let's, let's get a bunch of people in it this year. We had a lot of fun last year doing that. Yeah, and I believe good. we all lost to Superfan Brian. 
Yeah, Superfan Brian crushed us. So. Superfan Brian crushed us all like graves. I kept it competitive for quite a while last year, but he ultimately crushed us like a grave. Kevin uh, McCarthy, I'd love to see you play again, except this year, remember to lock every single week. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, we're going to kick it off with the AFC, and in the AFC, I figured we would just kick it off with the easiest division, and it's the AFC East. There's no surprise here that I have the New England Patriots winning that division with a record of 15-1. and one. The reason that I have them going 15 and 1 is simply because I don't want them, or I'm sorry, I updated it, 14 and 2. And the reason I have them going 14 and 2 is because I don't want them to go undefeated. I don't want to listen to it. I don't, don't want the nonsense of it. Uh, so I'm, I'm projecting them to win, to lose two games on the road, uh, just for that purpose. Oh, uh, Miami, so then next at 9 and 7. Uh, Buffalo at five and eleven. We talked about the struggles of that team, and then the three and thirteen Jets. I don't project anyone worse than three and thirteen, just because it's the NFL and crazy things happen all the time. So three sure. and thirteen is where I went for the Jets this year. So that's interesting because I had a similar thought because it was actually tough for the Browns last year to only win one game. They were in a lot of those games. It was just crazy mathematical yeah, improbabilities, ri- ridiculous kicks at the end of the game, things. That, they had that Baltimore game where yeah they were they up twenty points in. and blew the yeah, lead. Just, yeah, yeah. So that's not going to happen every time. I mean, just math prevents it. So I'll go through mine here real quick. I have New England at thirteen and three. They're going to be great. I also have Why them. Why do you hate the Patriots? Clearly, right? I'm so low on them. <laughs> they're they're they look like they're just going to. I mean, they're going to just stomp all over that division. So I have them at thirteen and three. I think they're going to stumble once early out of the gate. Uh, slightly due to, frankly, complacency. And then, uh, yeah, two road games that I think might ultimately get away from them. But it doesn't really, you know, it really helps you when you got the rest of this division that you get to just destroy. Because I've got Miami at 8-8. Eight eight. I have them taking a little bit of a step back from last year. Uh, and that's mostly due to Jay Cutler, to be honest, at this point, because I know Cutler is broadly similar to Ryan Tannehill. But believe it or not, Cutler is worse quarterback than Ryan Tannehill. Interesting. I do actually at this point in their careers. If this was a couple years ago, it would have absolutely not been that way. But at this point, Jay Cutler. Also, we didn't talk about this. Jay Cutler has all these quotes in the media about you don't need to be in shape to play quarterback. Good luck with that, Jay. If he could smoke while still playing, God, it would just be <laughs> naked and naked because I know he would like that too. So no, I have the Dolphins at eight. I have the Dolphins at eight and eight. I think they've got a way harder schedule than they had last year, too, when they went mm-hmm. to the playoffs. It's way harder. Buffalo, I have it 4-12, and 12, and that's being generous because I think Buffalo is actually in 76ers kind of tank mode, along with their uh, counterparts there, the Jets, who I have at 2-14. and 14, And I was thinking about giving them a third win, but to be honest, I would not put it past the Jets especially to kind of like intentionally lose a football game sure. by putting Bryce Petty and Robbie Anderson out there on the field at the same time. So that that way you know that any defense playing you who's seen any tape will just quadruple cover Robbie Anderson. And he's still going to throw it there. I mean, he's still... Yeah. They're, they're, but that doesn't matter. It's probably their best QB prospect at this point after McCann yeah, goes you, down in week three. Yeah. Right, exactly. So my, the, we're, we see that broadly similarly, though, is, is my point. We're, we're within a game of every team. So yeah. that's, that, that is all... That's statistical anomalies, frankly, at that point with one game. Uh, in the AFC North, it's the only other team I have going 6-0 and in their pathetic division, and it's the Pittsburgh Steelers finishing at 13-3. and I then have uh, Cincinnati going 7-9, and and both Cleveland and Baltimore going 5-11. and 
I've watched this division a lot, and it's hard to call sometimes because some of the teams that look like hot garbage because they play against hot garbage actually get made to look good, and that's kind of what I think is going to happen this year. So I have Pittsburgh at 10-6 and six because I'm not believing in the narrative that Pittsburgh is going to show up and just dominate people. Now, sure, yep. I will say they do have the schedule with which to do it, to the 13-3 and three that you're talking about. So I see how you got there. But I have a 10-6 and because I think they're going to stumble. Also, Roethlisberger's home road splits really freak me out a little bit. Plus, if he gets hurt, we've seen – and he gets hurt a lot. We've seen what that team looks like if he gets hurt. Yeah. They're, they go way down. Uh, I actually have Cincinnati at 9-7 and seven because I ended up really liking their schedule on paper. Uh, they have some very winnable games despite losing the best part of their offensive line. So that's a gamble by me, and I acknowledge it. Because there's a very real chance that Cincinnati could be significantly worse than that. But I ended up with Baltimore at 8-8 eight and eight, because it's right where I think they are. Ooh. Just a mediocre football team with an easy schedule, and they have no receivers, and I don't even think it's going to matter. And then I have Cleveland at 2-14. and 14. And this is because wow. of all the stuff that we just talked about a little while ago with shot. They can't even tell me who the quarterback is. And then I know whoever the quarterback is is going to get their bell rung very quickly. So then we're going to be looking immediately at somebody else. So there's a very real chance that whether they want to or not, Brock Osweiler is going to be your starting quarterback at some point this season. Good luck with any of that. I I wish you well. Like I, I think this whole team is going to struggle mightily. Like just They fixed the offensive line. I, I acknowledge it. The defense should be a little bit better on paper than what it was, but I think they're just going to get tanked again this season. I have no faith that this is the year that Cleveland starts to make improvements yet. I don't think they're there yet. I think they're still a really, really bad football team that still needs critical pieces just about everywhere, and they're going to need all those huge amount of draft picks that they got. So my argument for Cleveland... Uh, I'll start with Baltimore. You have Baltimore going eight and eight. I don't see that because Baltimore's just not good. Uh, I agree do, with that, by the way. The defense uh, has gotten principal. older, and the offense has struggled to do anything. Now, I do, of course, like Danny Woodhead on that team, but Joe Flacco's constantly fighting injuries, and he just has not been good at football. He's kind of no, phoned it in since they gave it that mega contract because he won a Super Bowl. So yeah, he's just not good enough. And in that division, with their schedule, some of those games, I just believe in the teams they're facing way more than Baltimore, which is how I had them down at 5-11. and 11. As for Cleveland coming up to 5-11, and 11, uh, last year they went 1-15. But as we already talked about, in at least three or four of those losses they had, they were winning the game and lost the lead. And they went out and added free agents on defense. They added the number one overall pick. And Miles Garrett to rush the passer and fix that. And then they added two offensive linemen to get much better on the line Good and run the ball line. more Not effectively. Not just guys. No, no, no. They paid a lot of money to get Joe Thomas some friends yeah. is what they so, did. Like, the, for them to rebuild the offensive line and defensive line and get better in the secondary, I, I like what they did in the offseason. So, and like I said, at 5-11, and 11, I'm not buying into them as a superstar no, team. I'm just no, saying the games that they blew last year, they don't blow this year, and they get to I think they will blow them. I think they will blow them again this year, uh, at least some of them, because my, my thing is I think ultimately you're going to see a lot of games, a lot of games, where they're going to try and run the ball, and they're going to be pretty successful at it, but they're still going to get blown out the other way on, and just get outscored. So eventually you're going to end up with somebody at quarterback trying to throw the ball to Corey Coleman and Kenny Britt, 
and it just all goes downhill from there. So that's my that's my pessimism on Cleveland. Now I will say there's a couple teams on this list that if we were doing these rankings for like let's say 2018, I would change it significantly, and Cleveland would be much more in the six win category because I think they're going to be bad again this year, and I think they're going to get another year of loading up at really good talent guys. And then next season is when I see them making the proper – because I have to believe that at some point, if it's not Deshaun Kaiser, they're just going to figure out quarterback at some point. They have to. They have to. It just doesn't make any sense. So I just – next year is more – 2018 is more when I'm seeing Cleveland taking a meaningful step forward. All right. We'll agree to disagree on that, and I know we will in this one, too. Well, we'll play all the games, so we're going to figure it out. We're going to the AFC South, where I have the Texans going 10-6 and and winning the division for the third straight year. Uh, Tennessee at nine and seven, right behind them. Then Jacksonville at six and ten, and four and twelve for Indy. And uh, I'm baking in, first of all, not having Blake Bortles at quarterback in Jacksonville, and not having Andrew Luck at quarterback in Indy. So that's interesting because I have Houston at nine and seven. So I've got them one game down from you. I think we see that broadly similarly, frankly. Uh, Indy, I have at six and ten because I am banking in baking in Andrew Luck for not necessarily the beginning of the season, but a significant part of the season. Mm-hmm. That's how I got to 6-10. and Because sure. if you were telling me it was Scott Tolzien for the year, 1-15, on a fluke, I've seen Scott Tolzien play football. It's not good. Uh, I have Jacksonville at 5-11. and 11. That was before the Henny news that literally happened about a, three hours before we recorded this. So I may be willing to, to amend some of this to allow Jacksonville to come up. Because with Henny at quarterback, I think they could actually be slightly better. But with Portals, I had them at 5-11. and 11. Yep. Uh, Tennessee, I have at 10-6, and six, and I don't know that I would be really that willing to change it. I believe Tennessee is this is the year that they're going to start a little slow, but they're going to catch fire about five weeks into the season or so and just light everybody up down the stretch and go 10-6 and six and win the division. Sure. And we have them, I mean, like I said, I have Houston 10 and 6 and then Tennessee 9 and 7. You have it flip-flopped. So I think yeah. we're, we're seeing it the same way. Um, my whole problem with Indy is, of course, their defense. I think they're just going to oh, atrocious. Y- it's difficult to win when you give up 40 points a game. So that's going to be tough for them. With Andrew Luck, the it gives them a chance. But otherwise, I don't see them doing much. And then, as we mentioned already, Jacksonville and the changing of the quarterbacks. My whole argument for Houston is the same one I gave last year, which is, look, in 2015, they went 9-7 and seven and had terrible quarterback play. So with that defense, if they get at least moderate quarterback play, they'll go at least 10-6, and 11-5. And, and then Brock Osweiler was a flaming dumpster. A dumpster fire just rolling down the street straight into an oil rig, blowing up everywhere and just covering everyone in flaming garbage. And they still went 9-7 and seven and won the division and made the playoffs for the second straight season. So as long as Tom Savage and Deshaun Watson are at least competent with the football, then you're 9-7 and seven again at a minimum, and then you can at least win one more game based on better offensive play or the defense having J.J. Watt back. And that puts him in Yeah, and Clowney, and a healthy Clowney to go with it for the first time ever. Clowney knows how to play football finally at this point in his career, and they're both healthy for the first time ever. That's terrifying, I will say. Right. Uh, that's why Houston actually is upside from the 9-7 and seven I put them at. They're one of the teams that if they went and won 12 games, I'm not necessarily going to be sitting here slack-jawed shocked mm-hmm. because they have a great defense. 
then that's going to win you some games in and of itself. My concerns surround Tom Savage's ability to play football, not from his abilities like as a person, but from his physical limitations. Mm-hmm. He seems to be hurt a lot. And so at some point, you got to figure they're going to go to Watson, and then there's going to be kind of a learning curve there. And I've seen Watson play two preseason games, and he looks okay, but you want to temper expectations slightly. So, But, yeah, no, I, I, I see them as a – as a contender potentially and yeah, finishing around nine and seven. And then they're also one of the teams that if we were doing 2018 rankings, I mean, if Andrew Lex all gimpy again and Jacksonville still looks like garbage. <laughs> yeah. And Tennessee is my pick to be this year's uh, Miami dolphins, which we'll get into more later. Uh, in the last of the AFC, we have the AFC West, which is a tough one. It was three teams really in it all of last season. And eventually it came down to better quarterback play that, you know, won the division because Derek Carr was out. So <laughs> Alex Smith yep. was kind of the last quarterback standing because I don't consider Trevor Simeon a quarterback. So no, uh, in yeah, 12 and I four, I have the it's Oakland fair. Raiders winning the division. I have LA actually coming up out of nowhere at 10 and six and then KC and Denver both at seven and nine. Sure. I think you and I see this slightly differently. Uh, and this is, again, this is, this was the hard one. Uh, I have Oakland at 10 and 6, and they're going to win the division. That's how I have it. And then I have Denver and KC tying at 9 and 7. And then I have LA taking a small step up, and they go 7 and 9 this year. Sure. That's how I have that shaking out. Yeah, no. I'm still just not quite sold on LA's defense depth wise, is my issue. I get that they've made all these improvements, and they have. They've spent three years trying to fix the defense, and they've got some good guys uh, in the course of that. My concern is that they still have the same underlying problem they always have, which is that if they take any injuries at all, you're suddenly looking at, like, some guy from FAU you've never heard of out there get torched by everybody that they play. So it it just – it doesn't work. That being said, there's also a lot of turmoil surrounding that organization, given my rant off the top. So it – I find it hard to believe necessarily. I'm not quite buying it just yet. And now a lot of people, though – would tell me that I'm too optimistic on Denver, and I think that's the one that they want to cede some of that Denver stuff over to L.A. And I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on Denver, which is they put the right guy in, finally, with Simeon. I know he's not good, but he's at least competent and can run that offense without being horrendous. He was 5-1 and one to start the year last year. Some of that is now they have tape on him. I, I'll credit you. They fixed the offensive line, at least on paper, this offseason, Garrett Bowles, for as much of a, as a reported nut as he is, is apparently looking great. And they have been able to run the ball a little bit better in the preseason. My concern, though, is that that might fall off if anybody on that line gets hurt in Denver in a meaningful way. So my, my ranking is kind of baked in of Trevor Simeon looks more like the guy that he's looked like in this preseason and the guy he looked like in the first six games of last season than he was the rest of the sample you have for him, combined with a slightly retooled offensive line allows him to run the ball a little bit better, plus the same defense that you've had for the last number of years, puts you right back at 9-7. and seven. Uh, Yeah, so on that, I mean, I buy into Denver's defense. Like I said, the issue is they can't run the football, and I don't believe in the quarterback play. So I just don't think you're going to be able to outscore teams, even if you only have to get to 14 points, which is why I have them <laughs> at 7-9. and nine. 
uh, Casey's defense aging and taking a step back, obviously, and then the Chargers I have moving up so much simply because their schedule is so easy. And the back half of last season, the rookies and the second-year players they had last year took a huge step forward. And their uh, the Chargers defense was actually very sneaky in fantasy because it was very useful the second half of last year. They played really well down the stretch. They didn't win a lot of those games, but uh, that's because everybody on offense was completely injured. So, you know, by week seven, when everybody on the team is on IR again, then it's going to be difficult for them to get to that 10-6 and six record I haven't projected at. But the big if with them is always if they stay healthy, and if they stay healthy, they're 10-6 and six in my mind. Yeah, so. Again, and that's why I'm saying it's not insane at all, because if they do stay healthy, I agree with you, because their schedule is it, it's cupcake easy down the stretch. In the NFC, we start uh, in the East like we did in the AFC. So in the NFC East, we have uh, I have sorry the Giants going 11 and five and winning that division. It's the exact same record they had last year, and I think the rest of the division except for maybe Philadelphia got worse. I have the Cowboys going nine and seven, taking a step back. Seven and nine for the Eagles, who revamped their receiving core and defense, and then Washington going to six and ten. Yeah, I'm less interested in the NFC East. I have I have the Giants winning the whole thing at nine and seven, and that's literally because I don't think they can run the football meaningfully. So they're gonna yeah, lose they some games. Run last year either though. And and that's how they ended up that's my whole argument. Is that at some point you gotta run the ball to seal out some of these games that you need to win, and they can't do it. So down the stretch you have these opponents against the Giants that the game should be over. Giants should be in possession mode, just taking it over and ending the game. And it's still going because the Giants can't keep the ball long enough on offense unless they score to to do anything. So I'm I'm just not. I, I have them at nine and seven and winning the division. I have Dallas taking a big step back to eight and eight. Uh, I have Philly at five and eleven. I'm just not sold on a lot of Philly and a lot of their changes. I'm willing to be proven wrong. And Washington, you and I see exactly the same. I'm at six and ten. Yeah, the only thing I would say on Philly is that, like I said, I have him at 7-9 and nine, taking a step forward because year two of Wentz, which is always when the quarterback gets better in a groove. He came into this knowing he was the starter, where last year he was thrown into it because they traded Sam Bradford. And, uh, you know, they improved their defense, which was a big hole for them last year. So, granted, it's through the draft. It's young guys, but everyone's said this is the deepest defensive draft they've seen in a long, long time. So... For them to be able to add a bunch of pieces that way, and it's hard to argue, as much as we're both down on Alshon Jeffrey in fantasy, it's hard to argue that he doesn't make your offense better by throwing him the football as opposed to Doriel Green Beckham. No, that's fair. They, they, he's a better real football player than fantasy prospect, and they did add to their defense. I'm just concerned that Wentz is not as good as you know, the second coming people in Philadelphia would suggest that he is. Well, that's every I'm, city. I mean, Trubitsky and, gets all the love in Chicago. Sure, it's every city, but I'm just, I'm not quite sold on it, so I kind of want to see it one time necessarily before I buy into it. And also, I know it's Philly, and I know they're running the ball has never been their strong suit or their specialty, but you signed LeGarrette Blunt, and he's not even a lock to make your roster. And, like, at some point... Are you going to be able to score 68 points every game? I mean, that seems to be the goal, but I, I'm just not a big believer in Philly just at all. So, again, willing to be wrong about that. That's one where I'm taking a stance, you know what I mean? Like, So you can't take a stance without being willing to be wrong about it. 
because a lot of people don't have Philly at five and eleven. A lot of people have Philly significantly higher than that. I just don't. I'm not seeing it. NFC North is an easy one because every year it's just the Packers. So Packers ten and six. Minnesota I have at nine and seven, and that's mostly because of their white schedule and the defense. And then Detroit at five and eleven, and I was very very generous and put the Bears at three and thirteen. Last year. The whole reason, I mean, part of it too is, you know, they're terrible. But last year, I put the Bears at 4 and 12. And everybody's like, oh, you're so down on the Bears. What are you, dumb? And then they were 3 and 12. And I was, I've never rooted harder for the Bears in my life than that last week of the season when I wanted them to finish exactly 4 and 12. But, I mean, I, you're right. I was horribly wrong. I'm an idiot. They went three and thirteen. I gave them too much credit. So this year I'm giving them three and thirteen, knowing it's very likely they only go two and twelve or one and fifteen. But I'm giving them their three and thirteen nod this year. Uh, no, you and I see that exactly the same. We've joked about it many times. It's funny because mm-hmm. we came to that decision independently. By the yep. way, these were not done with us talking to each other. That's why some of them are very different. And the Bears, we both came to three and thirteen. Yeah, there you I go. think it's literally Welcome. the exact same games too, isn't it? It is the same games. No, it was exactly yeah. the same games. We have we went going game 0 and by game 9 a couple days ago. Yeah. Yep. And then it's going to be Trubisky, and then Trubisky will get you three wins, and then people are going to anoint him and wash his feet, and I'm just going to laugh and laugh into the night. Uh, I have Minnesota at seven and nine. I just again kind of like Philly, you know. It's, it's just. Yeah, we're right there. Where is the running game going to be? Where is the defense? Is the defense going to play 16 games or eight like they did last year? It's it's going to be bad. Uh, Green Bay, I have it 10 and six because that's a Green Bay kind of record. Start slow, choke in some games you should win, and then go ahead and just sweep a bunch of the stuff on down and go to the playoffs. That's Green Bay. Uh, Detroit, I have an eight and eight. I think you see you and I see that a little bit differently. I think Detroit is going to be. Pretty much right where they were last year. It's the same team. Their defense is horrendous. The offense is going to move the ball. And their schedule does not scare me. So I had them winning a couple more of those games. Sure. Uh, to be honest with you, for fantasy, I don't think it matters. So we might as well move to the next division. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so the next division is the NFC South, which is an interesting one. I have Tampa Bay winning that division at 11-5. and five. Carolina next at 10-6. and six. New Orleans at nine and seven, and the reigning winners of that division at eight and eight in last place of the division. So we'll start there because it's the only thing. I have Atlanta going back at eleven and five. I think the regression is three games, not a lot. You know, not them completely going down. I get where you're coming from because mm-hmm. they lost the guy who was calling the plays. Yep. And there's the Super Bowl hangover. Yep. You don't come off a beatdown like that lately. But I have them at eleven and five. I think they're. I, I'm just again, I'm not afraid of their schedule at all. Sure. And even if you 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 got relatively close calling the plays, I think they can do quite a bit of it from last year. So I'm not I'm not as pessimistic on Atlanta. Uh, I have Carolina and Tampa Bay both going nine and seven. And I think both of those teams, Carolina, uh, it's schedule. Their schedule is so pancake easy. It wouldn't even scare me if they or would surprise me if they won more games than that. Tampa Bay, 9-7, and seven, doing the exact same thing they did last year. I think they're going to need one year to figure out everybody's job, basically. And next year, I could see them winning that division in a cakewalk, by the way. So that's that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at on Tampa Bay. I think they're going to be really impressive, though, in the games that they win. 
Uh, New Orleans, I have at six and ten, and that's all about just I don't feel like they're going to be able to replace the defense. And you add Adrian Peterson, I okay. I don't know that that fixed like any of the critical problems that were wrong with your team. Like, paying Adrian Peterson, and then you drafted some guys. I'm not a big believer in any of that, so I don't know if uh, I don't know if that is particularly shocking. But yeah, I have Atlanta going back at eleven and five. Yeah, I mean, first of all, in New Orleans, I had uh, the reason I've got them at nine and seven is because they finished last in the division last year, and they're because of that, their schedule is so easy. Uh, it's just it's hard for them to lose games. They play a lot of games on turf indoors, which is where they thrive, obviously. Uh, it's kind of Drew Brees' last hurrah. I think he's going to you know, go all out this year. I know you lost Brandon Cooks, but they like the other receivers on that team, which is why they were willing to get rid of him. And the O-line that they have in New Orleans, probably the best O-line that Adrian Peterson has played with in a long, long time. So the fact that now you can't just put everybody eight men back and th- rush three at Drew Brees because they're actually going to run the football if they actually put it in Peterson's hands, then he could run for a while. I mean, it's the same thing if they actually put the ball in Ingram's hands. They would, you know, they be hate, able to run for him, a while, but they, but they hate, hate Mark him. Ingram. So okay, now they've got yeah. someone that they don't hate, and okay. I think that balances the offense to the so point where it's hard hate, to stop just... them offensively. So what, Adrian Peterson has like 15 rushing touchdowns this year? No, I'm not going to say that much, but because I still think he splits with Mark Ingram. But I'm saying I know, as I'm trying, a team, I'm trying to bait. I'm trying to bait you because I think we're done. I, I think we've. I agree with you. It's not again. This is done in a vacuum. There you go, Brian. Mm-hmm. There's so many injuries and things like that that if 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 Matt Ryan goes down, then yeah, it's entirely possible the Falcons win six games and then New Orleans just juggernauts their way through because their schedule is cake and. They didn't take. Yeah, so Carolina any I have at, at all. ten and six, and you had them at nine and seven, and then I have Tampa at eleven and five, and you had them at nine and seven. So I'm just slightly higher on those teams, just because I think they'll win a couple games here and there that you have them losing. That's not a big difference. The biggest difference we have is Atlanta, and again, I, I just go back to the same fact that two years ago Carolina was in the Super Bowl. They were fifteen and one. They were a juggernaut that no one could stop. Everybody was high on Carolina. I picked them to win the division again last year. I had them going 13 and 3 because I thought they'd regress a little bit from where they were at their 15 and 1, yeah. and they ended up winning five games. So I am not like the whole Atlanta will recover; it'll be fine. Two years ago, it's a team that went six and ten, and they brought back the exact same team and play callers and coaches and everything. Did basically nothing in the draft and free agency of note. And they jumped up to 14 and 2 and went to the Super Bowl. It's what the NFC South does. So the fact that they could go right back to being a 6 and 10 team again wouldn't shock me. Especially changing the offense. And in the new Shanahan offense two years ago, Matt Ryan looked lost. He had no sure. idea what was going on. Yeah, he didn't know now, the playbook. Even if you're trying to run the same playbook without him, you're still running it without Shanahan. So I don't know how much I buy. They're going to just, you know, pick right up where they left off. They have a harder schedule than anyone in the division because they finished first last year. So it's going to be rough for them, I think, to get to double-digit victories. Sure. And that's, by the way, that's also kind of the difference between this exercise versus fantasy football. Right. Because Matt Ryan, Devonta Freeman, Julio Jones are all ranked super high because you know they're going to move the ball. It's just a question of whether or not they're actually going to win the game at mm-hmm. the end of the game and they're not going to lose every game 42-35. to 35. 
Yep. And that's the hard part about this. That that's that's what becomes tricky in trying to fathom all this out. In the NFC West, uh, this has always kind of been a two-team race, and I think it still is. I have Seattle going 12 and four, winning the division, getting back to the playoffs again. Arizona, I have rebounding after a tough season to go to 10 and six. It's kind of the last hurrah of the old dogs on that team. Uh, the Rams, I have Carson improving Palmer, because of the new offense and new head coach uh, going to six and ten. And even though it's a similar situation in San Francisco, they still have Carlos Hyde as their running back, so I put him at four and twelve, basically out of spite just for that. But uh, no, seriously, I don't think they've improved that much defensively, and that was kind of the biggest hole uh, last season for them. The offense should be better with Shanahan, but we, like I just mentioned, even in the first year with Matt Ryan, Shanahan's offense struggled. So when you're putting it to Brian Hoyer and the weapons that they have there, I don't buy into San Francisco being able to put up a ton of yardage and points, so I have them at 4-12. I'll start with San Francisco because I actually have San Francisco at 2-14, and 14, and I'll go into it just real quick, which is I think that's the – you know how we were talking about the Bills and the Jets and the AFC? That's the NFC version of this. Sure. Because I think Jed York, even though he is proven to be kind of inept at this, has kind of realized that he's a few years away from touching some of the other people even in his division, and they kind of need to go through a full rebuild. And I think really what's happening in San Francisco is the long, long courtship of potentially Kirk Cousins or someone else in that vein that wants to come there and actually try and properly quarterback that team. I think what they did is they went off in the off season and got a couple of rentals, i.e. the old bears quarterbacks, cause they got them both. And they're just going to try and put Carlos Hyde out there for one more season. I don't even think he's going to play most of this season, to be honest, cause he's either going to be bad or hurt. And then you're going to be looking at Matt Breida and John Williams and people like that. And, they're going to see what they have out of their rookies this year. And they, they paid Pierre Garçon. I think they're going to keep Pierre Garçon for a couple of years. He's going to be part of their long-term plans for year for next year and the year after when the team might actually be ready to take a step forward. But I think the San Francisco 49ers are kind of in tank mode still. So I have them at 2-14. and 14. Wouldn't also put it past them to maybe kind of like put themselves in a position to lose some of these games a little bit, you know, potentially. Uh, I have the Rams at 4-12. Not buying it. Just – Soup to nuts. Don't think Todd Gurley is going to necessarily get any better. Sure. Goff, I'm sure, will take a step into year two. And they have better receivers in the sense that they have any receivers at all. Right. And Cooper Cup actually looks like the truth, by the way. <laughs> but uh, but other than that, it, and that's all, those are all nice things, but the defense is always good, and I've got them snaking a win from Seattle like they like to do. Uh, Arizona, I have at 9-7. and seven. So just kind of the same logic that you had with yeah. – Pretty good team, pretty favorable schedule because of last year. And this is the last hurrah for the old guys, and I think this is potentially the year David Johnson's going to be really trying to prove this is my team permanently. He already kind of has that notoriety with them, but, you know, like permanently, like my team, this is my role, we're doing it, and they're going to try and move on down. I have Seattle at 11-5, and five, by the way, which is not a shock. Just they should be going back to the playoffs. All right, so then uh, playoff picture in the AFC uh, just to recap, division winners, I had the Pats first and then Steelers with the buys, Raiders third, Texans four. My wild card teams were the Chargers at 10 and 6 and then the Titans at 9 and 7. As I mentioned earlier, they are my Miami Dolphins of this year. I have them starting 1 and 6. 
going into their bye, fixing what they need to with all the new pieces they have there, and then going on a run at the end of the year to win eight of their last nine and uh, claim that last playoff berth. Yep, and I have Pittsburgh winning the division, Tennessee winning the division, New England being your one, Oakland goes ahead and wins their division, and then based on schedule, actually Denver crawls into the playoffs along with everybody's personal favorite, the Houston Texans. So that's actually so we have how the same been. playoff teams, except I have the Chargers from the AFC West and you have Denver from the AFC West. Pretty much. So it all it all kind of works out. It, it, it plays to homerism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out of the NFC, I have the Seahawks one with the Bucks two, the Giants three, Packers four, Cardinals five, and Panthers six. Yeah, and I have Atlanta winning their division. Followed closely by Seattle, also with 11 wins, winning their division. Green Bay takes down their division along with the G-Men coming down. And then I have Carolina crawling through broken glass to get in there, along with the Dark Horse Arizona Cardinals. We'll also climb into that particular pool. Uh, so again, we have the exact same thing, except instead of the Bucks, you have the Falcons. Yes, so, uh, AFC playoff picture, as I already laid out for you, I have the Pats and then the Raiders, who uh, upset the Steelers on the road to make it to the AFC title game, and then the Pats making it to the Super Bowl. Basically, I'm not even going to waste time. The Pats go to the Super Bowl, and they walk there, twirling a cane as they stroll. <laughs> you don't have anybody coming out of the other side? They're just going to play a bunch of security guards? Or... The Pats are going to play what might as well be security guards. They, they're going to play a bunch of good teams, but they're going to make them look like security guards on their way to yet another Super Bowl appearance. Fair. Uh, because I'm going so plain vanilla ice cream in the AFC, I decided to go crazy with nuts in the NFC, and uh, I went the Cardinals uh, going oh, all the way it. to the NFC championship game. Oh, I love game. it. Oh, David Johnson just and, running uh, over people to get there. Yeah, oh, they had I love to, every uh, part of it. To get there, they had to upset the Packers on the road, which is completely Do believable it. because the Packers It is believable. And then the, beating the Seahawks on the road in Seattle. Which would uh, be one of the greatest great playoff game. games ever played. If it was, so that would I've be got amazing. them upsetting the Seahawks, going to the uh, NFC title game. And then on the other end of it, I am riding the uh, the tradition of teams coming out of nowhere from the NFC South, making it all the way to the Super Bowl, and then sure. losing to the Patriots. So yep. that's the Bucks coming up, winning the I South, beating it's the old. Cardinals in Tampa to advance to the Super Bowl, and then ultimately losing to the Patriots in Super Bowl 52. So bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. Oh boy, that is fantastic! Uh, I want to see that that Cardinals Seattle game. I'd love to see the viewer, yeah. the overnight viewer ratings on that because I bet it's insanely high. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I had this done two ways, and the first way I actually joked with you about a long time ago, where I had the Packers going all the way through to play yeah. the Patriots because that's that's just what would happen to a Bears fan. They'd go ten and six and backdoor somehow because of the division into the playoffs. Look like garbage, but win all the games. Go to the Super Bowl, and then just get creamed by the Patriots. But I, 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 I don't think that's actually going to happen. That's just, it's just sadism. So I actually have Seattle. I actually have Seattle coming all the way through, yeah. and they really just are going to look strong. And I think we're going to get a rematch of the Super Bowl from a couple years ago. 
And I think that's where we're trending this year without, yeah. without all the, the fuss and muss of it. I think that's basically where you're going to end up is Seattle's going to end up playing the Patriots again. And we'll see if Seattle can turn the ball over on the one yard line again, or if they're going to give the ball to Eddie Lacy. Yeah. Your ball. You mean Thomas Rawls? Uh, your yeah, maybe Thomas Rawls is maybe probably Thomas. more uh, <laughs> close than mine, but uh, I like that's like I said. I wanted to not have rematches, uh, so I knocked off the Seahawks and I knocked off the Giants because if I had the Giants over the Bucks, they were going to beat the Cardinals. And the last thing I want is to ooh, Eli's two and zero, especially if this is oh the Pats are eighteen and zero again, and here we go. Oh yeah, here it's we go again. David Tyree's warming up on the sideline. He's been reinstated on a one day contract to play this yeah. game. And then the Pats come out and beat the Giants by 57 points because they just want to stomp that helmet catch yeah, out Tom of their memory. Yeah, Tom Brady's yeah. just giving middle fingers after every touchdown to Eli Manning and just right in his so face. So that's why I'm saying, at least like with last year, how they said, oh, well, it's not even exciting to get geared up for the Super Bowl because it's just the Falcons. And then the Falcons put it to them, and then they had to come back, and it was actually a decent game. I think that's what you'd get from the Bucks. The Bucks would come out, put up a good fight. You wouldn't expect anything from them, so maybe the Pats relax in the first half and get down a little bit and you get another decent game. I would, I would, I would definitely be interested in seeing that. See, game. I think they learned from last year, and I think the Patriots are going to come out just swinging, just swinging haymaking clubs just all the time, and they're never going to take their foot off the gas and just. This is going to be one of those situations. I, I think this is yet another season of the Gronkyu tour that's been going on for the last mm-hmm. couple of years where the Patriots are just going to run up the score on all their opponents. And if they're up 35 to three, they don't care. They're going to try and win the game 55 to three. Like it, it doesn't matter. And that's going to be, he's already dead. That'll be every game for the, that's every game. And it's going to be the Super Bowl this time. Cause they're not going to come in, you know, messing around. Like if they're going to be down 28 to three, it's because genuinely something has gone wrong. All right, well, that's it for this week. That's our predictions that you will uh, definitely hold us to and bring back when we're completely wrong about all of it. Absolutely. I expect to have season, a bunch of these thrown so. in my face. Yeah, so well, that's, you're it the for, uh, <laughs> that's it for the NFL for this week. So, uh, yeah, next week we're just going to be looking at our final thoughts as we head into uh, the busiest draft weekend of the season. And then uh, it's going to be a Golden League heavy episode because we're going to recap most of the stuff that happens there and preview it looking forward. So uh, for those of you that just listen for the NFL, thanks for listening. Be sure to keep up with us on ImportantNonsense.com and on our various uh, social media platforms. But for everybody else who's sticking it out with us, let's go into the Golden League. And now for something completely different. It's time for the Golden League update. I love gold. On the Important Nonsense Podcast. So, Neil, when we game planned for this podcast a couple weeks ago, we were like, oh, well, we'll just do NFL predictions because we're not going to have any Golden League news at that point. Well, here we are. And uh, sure enough, a ton of Golden League news to get through. So, first of all, uh, we want to say thanks to Eric, who uh, we, he had talked about retiring last season and decided to try to play through it. And then uh, just everything kind of got out of control, and he decided to just step away this year so. Uh, just thank you to Eric for playing with us for so long. He was an original six member. He had been with us since day one. Uh, he'd been in all 14 previous seasons of the league's uh, iteration. So, uh, yeah, just kudos to him. Three-time champion. Walks away with the uh, worst season in league history. <laughs> so three-time champion and the lowest of the lows. It's, he's, he's all over the place. But, uh, yeah, so 
Thanks to Eric. As a uh, as a result, we had to fill his spot, and we filled it with Paul Cusera, who is returning to us. He was the seventh owner in league history. He actually was, you know, sworn in one spot after Eric, believe it or not. And that's uh, not the only similarity in his career. Paul had 41 wins, 34 losses, and one tie. Made it to the playoffs three times. Uh, and as I uh, mentioned to you the other day, the active leader for playoff win percentage was Eric at 652 with a record of 15 and 8. When he stepped away and retired, the new active leader became Paul, whose win percentage in the playoffs is 800, a record of 4 and 1. He has two Smithy Cups, one behind you, me, and Eric for the most all time. Yeah, Paul's a ringer. <laughs> he's a shark. No, in all, I'm happy to have Paul back, in all seriousness. He's been gone for a while. I'm sorry to see Eric go, as we all are. He's been, I mean, he was the vice before I was for a long time. Yeah. So it's, but, it, you know, sorry to see Eric go, but I understand why he, he feels that he needs to leave. But nice to have Paul back. Nice to have a familiar face. Yeah, and the interesting thing with Paul is he's coming in as a new team. So that means Eric's roster gets uh, dumped, and that's noteworthy because he's had Antonio Brown forever. Antonio Brown now goes back into the player pool. He has been owned by Eric since 2014, so it's the first time in four years that anyone other than Eric is going to get a shot at owning Antonio Brown. And uh, it kind of does it change the dynamic for you at all of the top of the draft class there. <laughs> Only in the sense that I have to play Lisa in week one. So I'm either playing Le'Veon Bell or Antonio Brown, I suppose, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's one of those two, I'd have to imagine, that they're both now going to be on the market. Right. Uh, other than that, I, I don't know that it really I mean, outside matters. outside of that, I guess it makes it easier decision for Mr. Flynn, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he gets to have whichever one is left over. And frankly, yeah, Lisa either, has to right? decide if she wants the running back or wide receiver, and then Mr. Flynn gets whatever's left, and he just rolls with that. Exactly, and so that actually makes it slightly easier, like you're saying, in his world. Like he just gets to deal with – he only has to prepare for – I guess in the prep world, it makes it a little bit tougher because you got to prep for both either scenario, but it's not that much to prep for, frankly. No. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you have a preference between Le'Veon Bill one overall or Antonio Brown one overall? I don't know that you can make a wrong decision there. Yeah, exactly. I think you can kind of not go wrong, but uh, well, I mean, uh, you could obviously go wrong with injuries, right? But since they both, in my eyes, have like equal injury personnel, I mean, I'm just saying, like at at the end of the draft, nobody's gonna say, "Oh, she was so stupid for taking Antonio Brown." You know what I mean? So we're talking about the draft and everything going on uh, that we'll be talking about more next week. This week I released my annual all-bust team article for Under the Microscope. Under the Microscope. A microscope is an optical instrument used to magnify objects. Under the Microscope. Simple as they are, the microscope is no toy. Under the microscope, into the friendship-running zone. Under the microscope. All right, so the all-bus team, the you annual tradition. You can't see it, tradition. ladies and gentlemen, but I have my lighter up. <laughs> Keep it going. The tradition that we have going. Uh, 16 players on the all-bus team. It's all starters and then honorable mention for backups to fill out a full 16-player roster. Uh, on this season's article, six teams had at least two players that they drafted as busts. Four teams had one. There were only two owners that didn't make 
the uh, bust list that had no busts in their entire draft. And that was Kevin McCarthy. So kudos to Kevin. No busts last season. Try hard. Yeah, exactly. Finishing second, <laughs> making the uh, the Smithy Cup. So, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely no busts. It's an easy way to uh, to pave your way to victory, right? And then the only other one was Eric, who had the worst record of all time. So, yeah, there oh, you I go. Yell, I, I, yell, mean, I yell try hard, but that doesn't really, <laughs> so, uh, really apply. So there you go. If you make the uh, bust list, if you don't make the bust list, you either finish number two or you finish dead last with the worst record ever. So there you go. It's uh, that kind of sums up the entire list. Is it's a it's a mix of everybody that either had a really good season or a really bad one, and uh, it's always a fun read for anybody that has not read it before. So yeah, just leaf through there. I'm in there twice uh, with a couple of questionable picks I made last year and I'm disappointed in, but, uh, I'm on there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I said, so it, it's, it's a good Only once, I, but it's a good one. <laughs> yeah. You can find it at importantnonsense.com in the, uh, under the microscope section. So, uh, yeah, go, go check that out as soon as you can. It's a fun read. So next week, like I said, it's going to be a golden league heavy show. We'll be talking about the keeper choices everyone made. Be sure to get those keepers in. If you don't get it in by Saturday's deadline, you get a defense and a kicker. The defense and kicker that's already on your team. Not a good one. And you have to keep them at that value. So remember to get those keepers in. Uh, then Sunday will be the supplemental draft for defense and kickers between Paul and Lisa. He'll have the first and fourth pick. She has picks two and three. So that'll be interesting. We'll have all the keepers in place by next Sunday night. And then uh, everybody will know their draft board, their position. You can mock it out. We'll do a full Golden League draft preview next week. So uh, that'll be uh, it'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to that. Real quick, Steve, you, you throwing Odell Beckham back in the pool? I am at this point. You keep that Julio. All right, gotta I'm know for the mocks. Keep Julio. I mean, it's not like uh, it, it's not like I'm dropping off a cliff going from Beckham to Julio. But with the injury scare of the first couple of weeks, at this point in time, things could change. You know, I still have a few days to decide, but at this point, I'm throwing back Odell, and I'm going to keep Julio. Never say that I don't help you people prepare for mocks. Just go. wanted to, just wanted to get that on the board, get that nice, get that taken care of nice and early, prep as if Steve is going to have Julio. All right, so there you go. So uh, that's it for us this week. Thanks again uh, to everybody listening. Keep up with us at importantnonsense.com. Follow me on Twitter at nonsense underscore Steve or Neil at nonsense underscore Neil. You set that up yet? Oh, it's set up. It's set up. Whether there's anything on it is a whole separate deal. Uh, by the way, I have one last note before we sign off. Superfan Brian. Uh, Superfan Brian, for next week, because it's a Golden League heavy episode, get booze. Yeah, there you go. Dumpster fire in a vacuum. Dumpster fire in a vacuum. These are the, the, just a couple to send you off with now. But next week, oh boy. N- next week, it's next week's gonna get gonna get way into the into the drinking game. Yeah, so it looks like we'll have plenty of nonsense for you next week, but until then, everybody, you keep up the nonsense. Music for the Important Nonsense Podcast was provided by Lee Rosebeer and Lane Genie. Thank you for listening. Be sure to keep up with the latest content on importantnonsense.com.